Yeah, isn't it nice that we're getting notifications, you know, all day? <laughs> I, you know, I try to manage that stuff uh, as best as I can through automating, uh, you know, like stuff, mark, mark things as read and, you know, go through all my apps and make sure, you know, just about everything is turned off except for what I really need. You know, so I, I definitely try to uh, reduce the bombardment of just complete uh, overstimulation at all times. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, leave me alone. I mean, I, I, I know that I need to pay attention to all of these things, but man, you know, I can I do it on my own time? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It's a big challenge. It is, it really yeah. Is. I mean, and, and you've got so many irons in the fire at all times too that it's it's got to be even more hectic for you. Yeah, and some some things I'm actually um, not even considering as work or things that take time or require my attention. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, like for example, having uh, mixes sent to you. <laughs> People, mm -hmm. and you have to listen and give feedback and stuff like that yeah since, yeah 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 and that and that's such a especially when you're when you're doing mix work it seems like in some instances like time is kind of uh of the essence when you get that that message because you're like oh they must be in the studio right now i should probably pay attention to this if i want to try to like catch a quick revision or something and they can send me another pass while they're there kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that one's tricky. I feel like. To yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Stuff. And yeah. if you, if you're working, uh, with people from different time zones, absolutely. Like, like we often do. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. <clears throat> and then in some it ways the, the time zone thing kind of, adds a, a a natural boundary that you can kind of use as a <laughs> a buffer <laughs> like oh sorry i was you know asleep or whatever <clears throat> it's true but um you know somehow the response time is is a powerful tool though to uh it is motivate and actually also to demotivate people <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that, that can certainly be a uh, read between the lines kind of thing, depending on, on what you're trying to convey sometimes, I think. But it's just like, you know, it's just basic boundary setting, though, man, you know, like, I mean, that's just like, day to day life, like, just, you know, you, you pick the things that are the most important to you. And you, you know, hopefully you stick with it. And hopefully you made the right decisions and you go with it. Hey, so I um, just a few weeks ago I visited you in your new studio there in Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah, where I currently am. You have been in this room, which kind of blows my mind because it's still fairly <laughs> new for me here. Yeah. Yes. And and so how how many years in music for you? When did oh, you gosh. start? When did you have your first recording setup, even like of the smallest and most humble kind? Sure. Yeah. Um, that would have been, um, at a very early age, uh, before I even started playing an instrument. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad had, uh, um, 
like a, a four track reel to reel. Uh, I think it was like maybe a little Lakai uh, tape machine. And I remember, gosh, I mean, I might've been like six or seven years old or something. And uh, I think he made my mom like a mixtape, you know, like a recording. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and he wanted us to like leave her a little voice message at the end of this tape. Uh, so like, you know, we got up close to the, to the thing and he had a mic set up and, you know, we recorded. So like, that was kind of like my earliest memory of recording, uh, and, and having that being something that could be facilitated in our household, uh, was just, uh, magic. And, um, you know, so from there, I think it kind of went to just having like, a um, you know, one of those little dictation, uh, handheld tape players that you'd put on the desk when you're ready to talk to somebody. And I, I started playing guitar when I was 11. And I remember using that little, uh, little recorder to just, I, I think I remember doing a little cover of Rocky raccoon for, for my dad. And it was just like my, you know, little acoustic guitar and, and, uh, and vocal. And I just, you know, played and sang it and did a couple of takes, you know, little did I know, <laughs> you know, that would become kind of one of the, uh, uh, the most, um, you know, one of the things that I do the most in life is be, you know, either involved in or around capturing a performance. Um, and so, yeah, from there, my dad, and both my parents were very supportive of, you know, pretty much anything I wanted to do. Uh, and when I was in uh, high school, um, I started, I was getting kind of exposed to, um, computer-based recording at the time. This was like 98, 99. Uh, and, uh, my dad, you know, was a pretty, pretty big computer nerd. We always had heaps of computer parts and, and, you know, we would build stuff together. He had Ataris and, and stuff like that. And, um, so he he bought a, a hard disk recorder. It was the Roland uh, VS eight eighty, um, and uh, so that was kind of like my first big, you know, multi track uh, machine uh, at that point. And uh, I was like so stoked on like the virtual tracks you could put underneath the top eight of them and uh, all the built in effects. It was just like a whole new world of um, recording and, and manipulating sound. Um, so yeah, those were kind of early. Did you know that I recorded one of my first albums on that very machine? Oh no, kidding! With, That's uh, great. With with Europa String String Choir. Awesome! A, I remember a four piece band. Yeah, I remember doing uh, some kind of. I don't know if it was like a, a a remix or an edit or something for. It was for the Kopfmensch compilation. That's what it you did was. A, you yeah, did yeah. a new mix. I do remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy that you recorded that on. A yes, and that actually was recorded with that machine. No way! Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Huh. What a trip. Yeah. Not only do I know exactly what you're talking about, but <laughs> I did some work on a different version of it. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, between doing hard disk recording and then actual like computer based recording and editing it on Cool Edit Pro, uh, I had a, a PC that, um, my dad and I built and, um, yeah, put in like one of those like creative labs or realistic or whatever it was, little you know sound card things in the in the big PC tower, and 
um, yeah, started editing on, on Cool Edit Pro. And that was kind of like my first instance of looking at waveforms, <laughs> you know, like same here. So crazy. Yeah. I, I started with Cool Edit. Was it Cool Edit 96 mm -hmm. or something it was called? I can't remember now. Yeah. And then yeah, that Cool was... Edit Pro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is now Adobe Audition, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Those were, those were, you know, the early uh, memories of recording. So, and in high school, I, I would record local bands and stuff. And so I was already kind of like turning that into a hobby um, before I was even out of high school. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and just let's just skip ahead a little bit so um i met you at pat's place right yeah when you were interning mm -hmm. that yeah correct? that would have yes that would have been uh uh what 2008 maybe mm -hmm. yeah i think so yeah yeah um yeah i had been working at a local guitar center uh, and Pat Mastelotto called the store one day and I happened to answer the phone in the pro audio department. Uh, and he had a pro tools question that was, uh, in hindsight, pretty, uh, uh, typical of, of, of Pat because he was trying to kind of like shoehorn in some ideas into some technology that wasn't fully capable of doing what he imagined yet <laughs> you know he mm -hmm. was just because he's just always been on that bleeding edge with stuff he's always pushing it and he was trying to figure out some way to uh um integrate a pro tool session into his laptop for travel with some kind of like at that time it, it you know required hardware in order to to even open up the program um mm -hmm. So I was trying to devise some sort of mobile solution for him that was like a dongle type thing. And I think, I don't know, whatever fine print was in that thing, just it didn't work with what he was trying to do. And so I felt, um, you know, like, oh, no, I have, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've botched my attempt at, a, at, a at impressing this, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> legendary drummer that I'm a big fan of his work and I can't really, I don't want to like tell him that and geek out and, you know, so, uh, I think I sent him an email and just like apologized about it or something. And, and, and he was, he was, you know, very cordial. And then, uh, I think he called back again and, uh, a couple of days later or something. And he, he said, Hey, uh, you know, I just came off of this tour uh, I, I kind of, I'd like to organize some of my Ableton stuff that's woven into my drum kit. Would you be interested in moonlighting over at my place? So, so when you say interning with Pat, he, he phrased it as moonlighting because <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't anything, uh, official in any sense, because I, I was, uh, going to the community college here in Austin, um, for the audio program at the time as well. And there, and there was, uh, an internship program that you could, that you could be, uh, involved in. So, uh, it wasn't anything that official, uh, but, but yes, I mean, you know, I guess kind of in a, in a, in a technical sort of weird way. Yeah. I was his intern <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, he introduced me to you and, and what's, what's interesting about that is I had, I hadn't met you before, but I had actually seen you and Pat perform live. 
because you guys did a gig at that community college uh, together as uh, tuner, uh, yes. and uh, and I and I I was I went to that performance and I was just like blown away by what y'all were doing with just two people, and I I you know I, I at the time huge crimson nerd and was into all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, I was familiar with what Pat and Trey were doing around that time with the two stuff, but I didn't really know, uh, about what y'all were doing. Uh, so that was really cool to see that. And I remember after the, the, the gig, like kind of like walking up to Pat's kit and just like taking it all in, you know, and be like, man, I'm, I'm never going to be this close to this drum kit again. I got, you know, I, this, this is my time to just like enjoy being in the room with it, you know, and little did I know <laughs> I'd, I'd end up, you know, behind that kit at his place, um, you know, for heck over a decade to come, you know, like <laughs> it's been really what a, what a wonderful, um, unexpected, uh, you know, friendship and journey and, you know, just, every like I, I owe so much to to pat for just opening um some doors for me as a young engineer and, and musician um so much stuff that i've done i mean is that that i'm really proud of is is attributed to either things that i've done directly with him or or um you know um related to to his circle of of folks which we are both a part of. <laughs> yeah. And those yeah. are... I had completely forgotten about that gig at the yeah. community college. Such a one-off weird little thing that you guys did. Yeah, I don't even I, think I, you all I, were on a tour. I don't know why. Yeah. I think I remember you um, <laughs> from... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it interesting like how, how one thing leads to another? And I can tell you, uh, like, you know... I. I I'm 50 now, as you know, and there's... Yeah, I'm going to be 40 <laughs> in September. I, I, yeah. I know, I know, but yeah, there's just, there's just that, yeah. so much stuff to look back on and so many crossroads and and so many people and this whole network of friends and uh, it's, it's incredible. I'm, it's really I mean, wonderful. It's, it's such a blessing and um, it's just, you know, I think at our ages, you know, even though we, we do have a, you know, about a decade apart, like... I think I'm finally old enough to kind of speak on this uh, along with you in terms of just like, man, if you stick around long enough, <laughs> you know, if you just keep chipping away at it, like good things are going to happen. You're going to make connections and you're going to like, you know, sparks are going to are going to fly and records are going to happen and documents will be made and memories will be made. And hopefully along the way the things that we do resonate with some other folks and can make some people happy for a split second, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm still so happy about the same time next life record. Me too. Yeah. I've, I've been kind of thinking about that lately actually. Yeah. What, what kind of, um, does it still carry the same meaning it did when you made it, when we made it? Um, yes and no, it, it, it does in the sense that it will always 100% be, uh, a tribute to my 
daughter who passed away in 2010. Uh, and, so, you know, every time I think of that record, you know, there's no way for me to think about the music without thinking about her. Um, and uh, on that same point, because of the amount of work that I have done in therapy over the last, you know, what is it, thir 13 years 13. almost? She'd be yeah. 13 yeah. now? Yeah, you know, I mean... It's taken a lot of very intentional effort uh, to find a way to to live my life um, without that pain uh, and without that weight. And um, between uh, lots of therapy and um, and more recently uh, some medication, which I, I finally you know stopped. Uh, um, feeling the stigma of, uh, and, and accepted that, um, being on some, some depression medication would actually be beneficial to me. Uh, I think there's just such a, uh, an unfortunate, um, trope of the tortured artist that, uh, you know, once, once an artist gets better, that the, their, their work isn't as good or something like that. And I just think that's total bullshit. Um, being on the other side of it now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I will say that, you know, because of the amount of work that I've done, um, EMDR stuff and, and, and meds, that uh, when I talk about her, Valentina, and when I talk about that record and, and the things that happened during that time, um, I don't have to feel those things that I felt back then. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm able to discuss these things um, with a with a with a clear head and without uh, um, you know choking up uh, and welling up with emotion because I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to prove uh, to myself or to you know the outside world how that affected me and um, you know because I I've made my peace with it. Um, so. I, while I haven't listened to the record in a while, that's a whole other thing. Uh, I find that, um, you know, listening to the album, depending on the mood I'm in, it, you know, it could, it could definitely put me in a little bit of a, a funk. Um, and then sometimes when I listen to it, I'm just like, oh man, that part that Marcus pulled together there is amazing. Or that, that, that thing that Alex contributed was just really something, you know, like Pat's, work on that album like you know mike and owen and just like it, it it was just uh um really wonderful to have some friends uh supporting me through my grief journey um so you know a lot of times i do listen to that uh and i'm just very grateful um for the support that i had and continue to have um with with that whole arc of of my life um so yeah that's kind of you know and I, I i've been another reason i've been thinking about it lately is because i've also been considering like man i sh i haven't done a solo record in a long time <laughs> you know it's like what would that look like now like I, I think there's just so much uh emphasis that i put on the situation uh of how that music came about that I feel like 
I kind of have a, a, a little bit of a block, and and I think that this this happens with a lot of artists when they when they put out a record, uh, is that you know you've got all the time in the world to do that first one, you know, and then suddenly there's something that exists as a precedent uh, to to compare something to, you know. So uh, I definitely feel a little bit of that, and I know that it's silly and and you know kind of just in my head but it, it just i think because of of how important that um that record is to me for those reasons and more uh i i feel like if i'm gonna do another thing under my own name it's gotta like it's gotta be as good as that or something silly you know just it, it, but like that's you know i think that's pretty common amongst uh other artists to to feel that kind of pressure to like oh man i gotta put out another one or, you know so i don't know <laughs> It's, it's super interesting because I don't think I ever felt that way. Well, and I think I that's, I think that, you know, that doesn't surprise me because of just how, I mean, just like the incredible body of work that you have put together and continue to, uh, to release, like that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> you know, because like certainly you have absolutely no problem with, you know, uh, uh, continuing to just like project after project uh, uh, just exude like a consistent vibe and excellence and just like what you do is uh, is so uh, um, yeah I mean every everything you put out is great man like I'm not I'm not blowing smoke like it's just like you know you just you've got you've got a lot of really cool stuff to 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 contribute and to allow others to you know, be part of that world with you. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's part of, um, just this whole like circle of, uh, of, um, collaborators that we, uh, get to, to work with, I think too, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm probably right. No, it makes, makes sense. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just starting to think, um, you know, what kind of record, could it be like your next solo? Yeah, yeah. Do you have any I, you know, ideas? I do. I have a few ideas, and I, I kind of feel like I wonder if I should, because so you know, it's like I have a couple other projects. I've got this uh, Earth Diver band with uh, with Mike Day and Owen McCluskey, and that's something that um, that uh, that stuff kind of started for me in high school and. Uh, I never, I, like I would, I would release versions of it and I was never really happy with it. And then I started getting the band together with Mike and Owen and they really just like breathed a lot of life into the, the, the song ideas that I had started. And so like once those guys put their input on it, it's like, oh yeah, this is a band. This is totally not me. Um, and, uh, so that stuff leans more heavily into, um progressive metal industrial metal very um angry um uh, aggressive vocals and stuff like that um and then uh i've been working with um my friend Chad Blasco on a new project that we haven't released anything with yet um and that is way more like pop forward like and I'm doing vocals that are 
clean and melodic and I've got auto tune on my voice. Like I'm going for it, you know? And so like with that stuff, it's got kind of a Depeche mode, you know, kind of doing my best Martin Gore impression on some backing vocals, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, like I'm really trying to step out from the, the more aggressive stuff that I, that I gravitate towards. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. And I'm hoping that before this year is over, we'll have at least a single or a little EP out. Um, and then I'm also working on a project with uh, my friend Jeff Swearingen. Um, he was one of my earliest uh, um, influences and in kind of like uh, going, like trying to get out from the analog rock and roll guitar world and get into more of the digital uh, drum machine, synthesizers, digital recording and all that. He was really influential for me when we were in high school uh, to like get into what he was doing. Cause he was all about MPCs and chopping stuff up and cool edit pro. And I had no idea what that was when we met in 1999. Um, so uh, he and I remained friends over the decades and uh, uh, he's done a lot of really cool stuff with uh, like frontline assembly. Uh, he's contributed to some studio records as well as um, played live as a, um, you know, synth um, player on for, for the live tour stuff on a few runs. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I'm working with him on something that is um, definitely leaning into the industrial uh, thing because that's what we both really love. Um, and uh, so I'm liking the idea of, you know, leaning into that there lean into more of the metal uh on the stoner side with uh, with earth diver um pop stuff with cha so it's like i'm kind of spreading things out a lot um and and kind of trying to distill certain um uh facets of the things that i'm into into separate categories as opposed to trying to like top all of these things all into one vibe which i kind of feel like my solo stuff may uh otherwise gravitate toward trying to just throw the kitchen sink at it um so i feel like at this point having spread out some uh um genre definitions and you know kind of being comfortable uh leaning into those things on other projects that i feel like that kind of leaves a potential solo record in a position where well, maybe I just go like guitar rock heavy and just go like, you know, some some light prog, you know, and just write some songs, like write some like grunge songs or something, you know, like fucking Alice in Chains and shit. Like, I, I, I don't know, like I, I, that's kind of where I'm feeling like maybe that's where a solo record might live is in that mm -hmm. area mm -hmm. because I feel like that kind of, um, my desire to want to um, do do a lot of stuff and, and do things in the industrial metal style um, I don't think is necessary for a solo record but I know that it'll end up being heavy anyway just because that's just how I roll <laughs> no matter what uh, so it's like you know my 
my interpretation or impression of a regular old grunge record is not going to sound like that, <laughs> even if that's what I'm trying to do. So I already know that. So it's like, yeah, it's just use, using the genre as like the brush. It's like I'm still the one who's going to, you know, uh, smear that all over the place and use it in the wrong way. And, you know, <laughs> but that that'll be probably the tool that I attempt to wield uh, for a solo record. That's kind of how I feel about it right now. Yeah, I mean you're 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 a very creative person. Um, I find you know like thanks. Uh, when you mix something, it's more than just a mix. It's a uh, it's production and additional arrangement and stuff like that that happens automatically. It's not really that it's that you need to call it that, but that's what you do when you mix something, right? Because yeah. you want to make things work, and also you want to make things work for what is your vision and your taste let's say mm -hmm. and 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 i like i like that you actually do that you know because like other people would be say um you know holding back more yeah and i think that that's something that i have only recently i feel like as in in, in maybe the last few years um that I've begun to get really comfortable with um, myself as a mixing engineer and what I do to songs <laughs> or pieces mm -hmm. of music. And I, I think that, you know, you, you're spot on with uh, uh, the idea of, of mixing engineers being a little hesitant to want to put too much of themselves into something uh, for fear of overstepping the creative uh, boundary. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's great. I, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that approach and it's uh, perfectly adequate in most situations, I'm sure. Uh, I think, and, and I, you know, I say that because I've, I've been there too, you know, and I think that I'm at a point where, I know that if someone has called me and wants me to, to mix their project, it's because they know what my stuff sounds like and they want that. Like mm -hmm. they, they, they want me to do the thing that I do. Um, so I feel a lot more confident in being like, hell yeah, when I get, when I get the multi-tracks for something, uh, uh, you know, I, I try to imagine um, – a combination of what the artist intends, because that's super important, and what what I feel when I hear the piece, and what I think would be an appropriate uh, presentation for an audience. Um, because of the amount of live production that I'm involved in and the amount of touring that I do, I get a, a really uh, immediate understanding of what a song arrangement, a performance, a production can do to a crowd of people instantaneously. Mm -hmm. um, and that's such a... On one hand, it's such a different... Um, way to experience music 
than sitting in, in, in a room with headphones on and, you know, smoking a joint and, and chilling out and listening to some of your favorite stuff or you go on a tangent and you start, you know, going through records and things like that or YouTube videos or whatever. Like there's there's definitely – there's a through line there in in what people gravitate toward when they listen to music and how they feel and what uh, – you know what happens when you're when you're when you're experiencing uh, a piece of music, you know, traveling in the air through time like that, and I it's that's such a uh, it's such it's such a personal thing, but it's also such a communal thing, uh, and so trying to strike that balance is is really um, something that I try to chase. I think uh, I think uh, when I try to get drum sounds. I I am I'm always kind of after going to a big open air concert at an amphitheater and feeling that kick drum in my chest. Like mm-hmm. I want to feel that when I'm listening to a song through my iPhone speaker. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like I want that fucking hype, man. Like I want to get excited, you know? And so I guess that's kind of what I lean into. Um, with my mixes in that regard. And I think mixing engineers like, um, say, Tim Palmer or Machine, um, both of whom I've, I've had uh, the honor to work with on, on, on a few projects uh, here and there over the years, um, I, I've been influenced a lot by mixers like them who are also kind of, and, and Ken Andrews as well, who are also kind of like, you know, they're, they're producers and mixers. Um, and so that's, that's the world that I gravitate toward, uh, is like listening to the attitude and the, and the, the, the drama and the, uh, you know, just working with, with these, with these tunes in a way that, uh, just kind of, you know, lights them up in, in a really nice way, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I I think like, yeah, a lot, a lot of times, like, yeah, I think I've I've said enough on that. <laughs> no, what 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 I think is interesting here is that you say um, the experience you have in the performance space, let's say, yeah, how the sound interacts with the audience and the response, and uh, that you kind of like take that as a reference yeah. for how your like you're trying to recreate that in that in that smaller space, mm-hmm. and as you said, like in the in the phone or in your room. Yeah, um, that's that's a really really interesting um, take on things. And 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 it may be a stupid question, but like, how successful is that? How 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 can you kind of like bring those two spaces together? Is that really something that? Uh, you, you can see that that's something that is sort of like evolving also for you as an engineer, like you get better at doing that or, or, or do you like sometimes kind of like go to a completely different place? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm getting better at that. Um, and, uh, well, I, I, I think you are actually. Oh, thanks. 
Well, I appreciate that. You you would you would know <laughs> as someone who has heard you know pretty much everything that I've recorded in the last twenty years. Yeah, uh, yeah. You would you would have a good idea if that was true or not. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I think that if I go to another place, um, it it is still rooted in that. But mm-hmm. what I do is I shift the um, the audience perspective, so to speak, from being that communal live environment where, you know, there's that kind of immediacy and excitement into something that is more conceptual uh, and that leans more heavily into um, um, psychedelic, you know, uh, parts of the brain or, you know, just uh, uh, that studio sort of like, you know, John Lennon, I want to sound like my, I'm singing inside of an orange kind of kind of thing. You know, like I I can I have a lot of fun leaning into sound design in that respect. Um, and that has absolutely nothing to do with, <laughs> you know, a, a crowd hearing a performance. Mm-hmm. However, those little pieces of ear candy can sometimes be these like little defining things that signal that that song is about to play at a show. Right. So like, you know, if you just start tickling those little breathless bits right at the beginning of the song, like, you know, exactly what's coming when you guys Mm -hmm. play that live, you know? So Mm -hmm. like it's there, there is, there is a a connection there. Um, So I don't ever truly get out of that space, but yeah, when I do it, it, it it's uh, it is something that I know will lead back to that place. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, and maybe it's something that uh, like we need to say that you're working as a, as a, how do you call it playback engineer? Yeah, it's a, or a, like play, a, playback playback engineering uh, is kind of what it's you know mostly called. Some people just call it the Pro Tools guy. Um, so what yeah, I do yeah. is. At a, at a live concert, uh, currently I work for uh, the band uh, The Goo Goo Dolls. Um, and uh, so what I do um, with playback uh, is uh, anything that you hear coming through the speakers at a concert that is not being played live by the band uh, is coming from uh, my station, uh, which was usually just off stage left by the monitor console. Um so uh, what what I do is I compile uh, multi-track recordings from um, records that uh, an artist has has put out or, or haven't hasn't been released yet, whatever, uh, from mixing engineers and producers, uh, put those into a session file. I use Ableton Live for all of my uh, live production stuff. I love it. Um, and uh, I will create um, backing track, uh, stuff that the band can um, use to to enhance the performance of of whatever song it is. Uh, sometimes it's just a click track that they only hear in their in ear monitors, uh, and the crowd never even hears it. Um, or it can be uh, some backing vocals in a in a chorus that we just don't have enough people on stage to make it sound like a gang vocal. So it's just let's just use the record, right? You know, um, stuff like that that's more practical. And then there are things that are a little bit more um, uh, theatrical and performative, like uh, creating 
uh, segue music in between songs, um, putting like a top of show intro where the band walks out on stage and you're hyping the crowd up uh, with some with some music that may be like a uh, a remixed uh, um, maybe a deconstructed version of their new single that they're about to open the show with or something like that. Um, so what I what I do is, is a lot of mixing and production, um, but for a live uh, situation. Um, like with uh, Camila Cabello, for example, I, I, um, I did a lot of work with her uh, early after she left Fifth Harmony. Um, and uh, her first um, couple of uh, uh, appearances uh, post that and um, did programming for her uh, Never Be the Same tour and that, that first record that she put out and uh, her um, opening set for the Taylor Swift tour a few years back. Um, so on the pop side, uh, you know, I do stuff like that, uh, with, with artists, uh, such as her where like, you know, we might even just record some stuff on stage with, uh, with her band and, and her, um, you know, dancers or, you know, backing singers and, and just, um, put that into the session file that gets played, uh, during, during the show. Um, and, uh, working with, um, you know, uh, music directors like uh, Johnny Natural, who does a lot of stuff with Ariana Grande, um, learned a lot from him on, um, you know, him and Ryan Cecil, who is CC's front of house engineer, uh, just kind of like learning how to organize tracks from the studio version versus what the live band's playing and how they're enhancing the original tracks and how Natural would do um, completely different versions of songs for uh, live television, like, you know, do the tonight show. And then that's a completely different performance of that song than what's on the album versus what's what they do during the live show. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of behind the scenes programming and work on, uh, just presenting the music that's been done in the studio in a live environment. I mean, that's, that's playback. It's kind of, it's a very large, wide, uh, category of of live uh tech work um and um i think that there are a lot of uh qualified uh technicians out there that can run uh, a show file and run that that, that can take a pre-programmed um session file and and uh, perform day-to-day tour tasks with it and you know say mute this vocal or you know turn this up 2db or whatever for the for during the show and that's that's perfectly normal for for a, a standard playback engineer to be able to facilitate those things the kind of stuff that i'm talking about that goes outside of that uh kind of blurs the lines into um music director um into a studio engineer and uh and, and producer um, yes. So not unlike the work that I do with my mixes, <laughs> where I and, and where I kind of you know have a more holistic approach. Uh, exactly, that's that's yeah. why I went there because thanks. The, yeah, the, the kind of the kind of productions, live productions that you're working for, yeah, um, have that same attitude. Like okay, Absolutely. that's the track. There's the band playing, and here is somebody or a few others even sometimes who enhance the show. Absolutely. Right. And that's yeah. what you do when you're mixing, when you're producing. Yes, 100%. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is the influence, you know. And, it's, <laughs> and it's, so, it's so great for me because those two sides of that coin 
really influence each other. And it's such a feedback loop of just kind of one-upping myself with each thing that I do, <laughs> whether it's in the studio or on stage. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I bring a lot of that energy to both uh, environments to the point where on the live side, what I kind of bring to it is, man, anything's possible. You know, give me five minutes and a couple of plugins and I'll make it work, you know. And then on the studio side, it's like anything can happen right now. You know, the immediacy of it that is often lost in the studio because you just kind of have you got all the time in the world, man. Nobody's watching the clock. Nobody's, you know, lining up at the barricades, <laughs> you know. So it's like I, I like to try to bring a little bit more immediacy uh, which I feel kind of translates uh, as authenticity in a, in a studio environment uh, to really capture the moment um, versus the the live side where I try to bring more of the studio into <laughs> the, the live environment. So, yeah, it's 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 a very fulfilling thing to be able to scratch both of those itches on either side of the coin. Let's talk a little bit more about the touring side. Okay. So, uh, first of all, like... Okay, once sort of like once you've you're set up sorted for a tour and you you guys play at the first four or five shows, let's say, yeah. um, do things get boring for you at some point, or how no. much how much creativity can you still, or how much? Uh, I guess you you always have to be a hundred percent on and focused during the show. So it's, that's what happens to me. Like even though you yes. could say it may get boring but it's not because i have to be focused 100 all the time absolutely and i think that that's why it never gets boring is because mm -hmm. we have to be on the spot you know five nights a week or you know for you it's probably a little more but uh <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah it's uh um i think that i don't get bored i get comfortable uh mm -hmm. and what happens is you for 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 playback um All of my work is front-loaded at the beginning of the tour. Uh, and by that, I mean all of my programming, for the, the vast majority of my programming, has to be done uh, by the time that first downbeat hits on you know day one of the tour. So um, I know that like my life is going to kind of suck a little bit for two weeks before the tour starts and I'm barely going to get any sleep and that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. Because once the tour starts, then I can kind of settle in and get into my uh, groove uh, and as does everybody else when, when, when we're on the road. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I, that, that level of comfort um, allows for a sustained um, – ability to be on, uh, during those 90 minutes, uh, every night and also during sound checks and, you know, uh, situations that require that, that level of, of, uh, um, presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah. I, and I, I think the other thing that helps with what could be boredom, uh, on the road is that I'm not just doing playback. I'm also the drum tech. Um, and I'm not a great drummer, but man, I love tuning drums and I love talking about drums. And like, I, I just like, I don't know, man, like I'm a guitar player and I'm a bass player, but I love drums. <laughs> and so like, there's times when I'll be like bullshitting with, you know, the drummer from an opening band on a tour and 
they don't even know that I don't play drums until like two weeks into the tour because of how I talk about them. <laughs> but so day in and day out, you know, uh, getting to mess with the drum kit uh, is is a lot of fun. And I, I enjoy working with Craig McIntyre, the drummer from the Goo Goo Dolls, on uh, always evolving and always trying new things. And it, it's, it's a great – because like this – this gig for for Craig with Goo Goo Dolls is one where he's really got to stay on script. There is no, uh, there's really not any wiggle room for him to improvise during the show. Uh, those parts in in some of these songs are iconic. People air drum to them at the shows every night, so they expect to hear the studio version of that drum part, uh, and uh, and he nails it every single night. Um, and, and you can tell that he loves doing it, uh, and, and that like his, his playing, like he's just, his pocket is just so incredible that like, I, you know, it doesn't even matter that he's not playing chops because he's just fucking laying into it right, you know? <laughs> so like, but his, one of his ways to combat boredom, if I may speak for him on an anecdotal level is that, uh, uh, you know, getting to mess around with with the 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 drum kit itself. Uh, you know, it's like if you don't get to play, if you don't get to mess around with what you're playing, you can get to mess around with the things that you use to play. <laughs> you know, so that that's kind of one thing that we like to do is just explore different, you know, drum heads, sticks, cymbals, you know, configurations of toms. Uh, ways of, of treating the, the drums and tuning and, you know, let's, let's throw cotton balls in here. Let's change the snare wires. Let's, you know, try a coated head on the bottom for once or let's try cutting a hole out over here instead of on this part of the kick drum or whatever, man. Like, it's just like there's always stuff to mess with, you know, day in and day out uh, on the road. So, yeah, Are you setting up the drums mm -hmm. and tearing them down as well? Yes, yes, yeah. So my So my job description is to uh set up uh, and maintain the drum kit uh and and to tear it down at the end of the night pack it up uh and to maintain the uh, playback system you know, those are my two gigs wow yeah wow yeah and that is two gigs really it is yeah yeah and yeah. and it's really it's right. more than two gigs um mm -hmm. which which is you know it's it's a great way to kind of add value to the team uh being able to uh, jump in on some other things that uh, uh, makes everybody else kind of, you know, a little bit stronger for, for uh, being able to cooperate with some things, you know. Mm -hmm. So over the years, um, how has touring life kind of like changed for you? Like how how are you managing yourself? Uh, touring has changed uh, pretty dramatically since I, I started taking depression and bipolar meds. I, I, I uh, was diagnosed with the bipolar disorder maybe uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I had, um, in the middle of the pandemic, um, thankfully I had started taking some meds maybe six months before the pandemic started. Otherwise, I don't know what I would have done during that period of time. But um, during the lockdown uh, situation, it seemed like a good time to experiment with my dosages and potential uh, uh, swapping of meds. So I was initially on uh, an SSRI Prozac, which is, you know, pretty common. 
And then my therapist thought, well, why don't you switch it up and do Lexapro, which is another SSRI. I did that, and I had some horrible side effects and reactions to it. Like pretty much anything that was on the list of side effect potentials, I got it. And so that alerted my uh, GP that I'm probably bipolar if I had that uh, reaction to um, one of these newer SSRIs because Prozac is one of the few that actually doesn't uh, exhibit those uh, mm-hmm. behaviors um, for some reason. I don't, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I uh, went back to the Prozac and then supplemented that with uh, another medication um, that I take at night, uh, Seroquel, which is um, – I think it's technically an antipsychotic, um, but at super, super low doses, it's more of a sleep aid. And uh, what I find is that it kind of compresses my mood swings. <laughs> so it's my it's my little compressor. Uh, and uh, it, it, it kind of like helps me uh, s- stay more manageable when, when my moods kind of shift. And uh, the way that... Uh, my brain tends to work that I'm discovering is that I kind of, it's almost like a unipolar cycle that it's kind of what my therapist suggested that it might be is that, uh, I kind of have an upswing, which would be like a hypomania. Uh, and then I have kind of just a grounding out period where it's not so much deep depression as it is, um, more of just, uh, feeling, um, uh, drained. Um, and so like, you know, just emotionally spent. Um, and so I kind of have like my ramp up period where I'm super productive, get a lot of stuff done, very, uh, energetic and, and, um, social. Um, and then I have my swings where I'm just like, oh my God, I just want to stay in the hotel room all day and close the blinds and not even leave the room, you know? Um, and I, you know, I get fewer of those of the latter uh, now that that I've been on 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 this uh, um, combination of meds. Um, so I'm really happy with where I'm at. I, I I did just recently decide to bump up the Seroquel to double what I was taking just to see what it would do. Since we are about to ramp up for tour season here in a couple of months, I figured right now is the time, you know, to experiment while I, while I've got some time at home and. I'm not working on too many uh, intense projects. So, uh, so far that's been going great. Uh, it, it just, it takes me a little while to see the results of what that compressor is doing because it's a very, very slow compressor. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, because I'm, I'm learning about how my brain works and accepting how my brain works, uh, boy, does that make it easier for me to just live my life. Um, so, because I can recognize these things about myself and not shame myself for them or try to change myself, but to lean into my strengths and lean into the things that are working when I feel either of those, um, cycles pulling at me. Um, so I, I take advantage of, of when I'm on the upswing, you know, and then when I'm, when I'm not, I don't feel bad about it. And it doesn't uh, take me down, you know, on, on any kind of emotional level. Uh, so I know that I have to recharge and that's all it is. I don't have to assign blame or guilt or anything like that to it. So because of those things, being able to handle myself on the road and uh, touring um, is so much easier. Um, I, I, I'm able to... Um, 
really just take care of myself better. Uh, and I, I, I think, um, you know, you and I may have had a conversation about this in Seattle a few years back when you were in town doing some stuff and I was in town for some rehearsals. Uh, and we talked about, I think, even just very basic things like grooming practices and like getting a haircut more often, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that, like it, it is really important um, because it's like those are the grounding things that just like keep you feeling good. You know, so, uh, so yeah, so I will definitely like, I've, I've got a pair of, you know, hair trimmers that I travel with and I'll just trim the sides of my hair every, you know, four days or something. I've got a, I've got a mullet right now and the sides are, you know, shaved pretty, pretty short usually. And so, yeah, so I'll, I'll trim that, I'll trim my beard and, you know, do that every three or four days. Like when I'm, when I take a shower at the venue at night, if we're traveling in between, gigs and I'm, I'm not going to stay at a hotel that night, then, um, you know, I'll be sure to blow dry my hair at the end of the night so that uh, I put my product in there and I can roll out of bed the next morning looking good. You know, <laughs> like, it's just like dumb stuff like that, you know, like, uh, it was like one, I think the, one of the guys on the Google Dolls crew saw me blow dry my hair after a shower one night. He looks at me like, what are you doing? And I go, you think this just happens? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I like to have fun with that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, having being playful about things and, and not taking yourself too seriously, feeling good about yourself and, um, um, you know, eating right. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's so easy to make good decisions uh, on, on tour for, for the, the type of uh, – you know the the level of touring that that we're in with Goo Goo Dolls, uh, catering's usually really good, um, and you know there's always a salad option. <laughs> you know it's like yeah, there's cookies at the end of the table too and cheesecake, but as long as I just make sure I eat the good stuff, and all it takes is you know one good decision, and you just make another good decision after that and after that. So, you know putting putting the good stuff in your body is good, um, and. Uh, yeah, I think uh, also keeping a connection to home is incredibly important um, because, you know, it's like, that's why you're doing all this, man. Like, you know, it's like you get, you're trying to support what you got at home, at least for me, you know. And um, so, you know, making sure that I that I stay connected with my family, my friends, my girlfriend, you know, all that kind of stuff is just so vitally important. Um so I, I'm, I'm sure to, uh, you know, have regular phone calls and FaceTimes and emails with uh, text messages with the people that are important to me. Um, and, uh, you know, keeping on top of that stuff uh, and, and, being, and having harmonious relationships at home is also incredibly important. Uh, and, and, you know, and that, that just kind of uh, uh, is a positive feedback loop of, of being present in the home life while you're out. Um, so, you know, when things get intense, you know, that, that can be, um, that can derail people, uh, when, when they're on the road. Uh, and, uh, you know, having a, a solid support system where things are, uh, manageable and respectful and positive and happy and, you know, and good, uh, at home, uh, facilitates a you know a better vibe when when we're when we're out um you know and 
life isn't perfect, man. And it's like shit's always going on. You're like, you know, something's always going to be falling through the cracks or going wrong. But, you know, if if you've done the work to maintain the good things in life with the people around you in your own mind, you know, when things do happen, you're equipped to handle it because you're not already, you know, using that energy toward maintaining things that uh, require more effort, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I feel about maintaining, you know, a, a good vibe on a tour. Yes. You know, there's one aspect that I find personally find fascinating, and maybe you can you can tell me what you think about that. I find that no matter how I'm feeling, let's say, like I always do my job well. Absolutely. And and that is that is kind of crazy to think about it. Like if you say you I mean you 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 have these mood swings, right? Mm-hmm. So how incredible is that if you're thinking think about it, like in under normal circumstances, like maybe you would stay in bed, but you're on tour. Exactly. Right? There like are you do no, the, you you <laughs> cannot call in sick. <laughs> so so you're doing work. the work anyway, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of like trying to starting to think like what that really means like what mm-hmm. how and and if that is something that we could um that kind of willpower let's say that maybe there would be a way to access that even when we're not touring yeah i'm not and saying I think, that that no but i think to a large extent i do and i think you probably do too you know and i, and I think that that has more to do with our with our personalities and our core values than anything else you know like you uh uh you have a, a a high standard you know and i do too and we don't fuck around <laughs> you know like e- even when we're at home maybe especially when we're at home you know yeah, like yeah. we we have a lot of responsibilities um and uh i think that just like there is the immediacy of a live show and that you have to be present and you have to be there to do the thing. The same is true for, you know, family dinner on a Tuesday night, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you're not present and you're not participating in, in that, in that magical moment in time, you're going to fucking miss it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that's the same with, with, with a show. And I, and again, I think that informs the other and back and forth, you know, yeah i mean there's there's two sides to it though like say you really need rest absolutely right and you feel the pressure to be present yes Uh, and i'm not talking about the tour i'm like talking more about like at home being at home and you Mm -hmm. know um it's it's really difficult not to kind of like uh keep pushing yourself so that you will get more exhausted right and it's a really fine it's a really fine line It is a fine line, and I think that you and I are fortunate to have partners in life that recognize those things about us uh, and um, can nurture uh, the the part where we're low energy and need that time, you know, like, because to me, that's, that's all kind of like, that's love and that's boundary setting, you know. And I think that 
being with with people who recognize when we need that time to decompress and when we need our own time because everybody needs their own their own time you know uh is really important and um and it's it's a luxury to to have that in our lives um and you know that's the difference between the personal and the professional world right is that like we can you know, we can kind of fall apart a little bit behind the scenes at home when we need to, you know, and like you can't really do that at work. And that's OK, because it's not you're not supposed to do that at work. And at home, it's OK to be human, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's true. It's it's a little there's this factor of like some super superhuman powers, right, that mm -hmm. um like, you know, even if I'm, like, super sick on the road, and I still play the yep. show. Yep, yep. We it's... put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what makes us tick. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, so before, um, obviously, like, maybe there were some, <laughs> I don't want to say, like, some, some not-so-great coping mechanisms on the road, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh like i'm trying trying to think like what i what i use you know what i utilize um yeah. and i think it's just like for me it's simple it's just the fact that things are pretty um simple with stick mentors let's say yeah because yeah. because like everything is kind of like laid out like we're always going to go to a hotel we're going to go to the hotel together like 99% of the time, there's sort of like a, an etiquette that we have even mm -hmm. like how to deal with each other. And, and we go Absolutely. to our rooms and that, that's sort of like where I guess like that part um, has saved my ass sometimes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So there's, it's, it's harder on an, on a, on a tour bus. I, I don't know if it's harder. It's definitely different. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, van tours are, you know, they can be grueling and, and you are in close proximity and on a bus, you know, you're also in close proximity. There are more people involved, you know, upwards of 12 in a, in a bus, you know, mm -hmm. in the States anyway. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the same thing that you're talking about, uh, with regard to the routine of, uh, consideration and and the routine of getting from point a to point b uh yeah that's what that's something you get real familiar with with the people that you're that you're touring with um and that's a whole other thing is is uh you know dealing with different personalities um mm -hmm. and uh that um has the way that that we uh, interact with people that maybe we otherwise would not interact with unless we were forced to be in that situation together, you know, uh, you got to find a way to be harmonious. <laughs> you got to find a way to be tactful and, and, uh, um, diplomatic in, in situations where things could get heated, you know, if somebody's being grumpy that day or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of psychological, um, uh, awareness and, and, work yeah it is yeah i i sometimes feel like it's it is um 
in a way, this this nomad life that we live when we're on the road, you know, is so different from how other people live and also how they operate. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Like there's there's sort of like a couple of layers of logic, let's say, that is very that is that are very different. And mm -hmm. it it uh, can be super hard to um, to switch those modes. For me, at least, it is difficult. I mean, to like everything switch, that you uh, said, it's to switch like from being from being. How do you say on the move mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to being stationary? Yeah, right? that's that is such a jarring uh, thing. Yeah, the 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 point where the tour ends and you go home or the point where your home time is over and you get on a plane and start the tour. Um, those, those two moments are super disorienting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I think, you know, po post tour blues is, is, is pretty common. Um, and that's definitely, uh, you know, it's because, uh, the mobile workforce and life on the road is not something that is normalized in, you know, much of, of our cultures, um, You know, people don't really talk about it that much because it's not, you know, it's not, yeah, it's just not a, a topic of conversation based on most people's lives because it's just not applicable to life at home. Um, but I, I would say that maybe if there was an analog to uh, um, that feeling, it might be um, the completion of a big project at work, right? Like, you know, maybe the disbanding of a team that was working for months or years on making a project happen. Um, you know, that's that I would say that's the equivalent uh, to what it feels like to end a tour. Um, I was watching that Alanis Morissette documentary uh, from the Jagged Little Pill era uh, on HBO, I think. Um, and she said something interesting about touring was that the tour kind of only exists in the in the memories of the people who lived it and once all of those people scatter uh that collective memory is gone and you're just left with you you know uh -huh. and that and that's that, that's such a that's such a, a good way to put it i think um because that's how it feels to me yes you know um yeah And I think, you know, on, lar on larger scale tours, like summer tours where, you know, on the level that I'm generally touring with Goo Goo Dolls, you know, we'll have two buses full of crew. Um, you know, there will be one or two opening acts that also have their band members and crew. Um, you know, there's local local crews that we see at every single, you know, venue. It's, uh, you know, different people every day. And um, it's like, you know, when I when I go home and, go to the grocery store and, you know, look, you know, 50 feet away and I see somebody that I think I recognize because they look like, you know, one of the lighting techs or something from the tour. And, and I'm like, oh, well, no, they, they live in Wisconsin. That's not them. <laughs> you know, like, but like that totally happens for me for like the first like two weeks after a tour is over. Because mm -hmm. it's usually, yeah. I mean, like three or four months that I'm out at a time, you know. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking that for me, like the tour never stops. 
like mm-hmm. even if I'm home, and maybe that's not not a very healthy thing. <laughs> 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 but that's what it feels like. Remember when we met uh, in Austin yeah. recently at the last. Yeah. Stickman show of that yeah, tour. Yeah, that, that was the end of your tour. Yeah, <laughs> that was the end of the tour, and basically the you know the goodbye was goodbye. You know, like yeah. not even not even a hug or like yeah, you don't have just, some okay. ceremonial end of tour party or something. No, like we, that. we no. don't have that at all, and, and because usually there's no time for that, right? Exactly. And, and so and so, uh, what kind of like remains is the feeling that okay, when we play the next show, that's the continuation. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> yeah, and I, but I have to say, I kind of, I like that, you know. It's really, mm-hmm. I, I used to look at things from on a on a on a tour to tour basis, but that has mm-hmm. changed a little bit. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, talk I'm, about I'm that. Seeing, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing more of the 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 overall progression as if it was a string of shows and not a string of tours. Aha. So it's it, you could say like I'm um there's more resolution to how I'm mm-hmm. looking at things. Remember that I was I was talking about like okay in the middle of the tour like 16th show or blah 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 you know something happens and now yeah. I have like a much 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 bigger data sample actually to Totally to to look at right and i see yeah. that the that there's larger cycles yep. and and developments like taking place mm-hmm. and i i just i just find that fascinating and i i mean i i'm i i keep saying that i'm i'm feeling so blessed that i can tour regularly and play many shows yeah. and because because like the touring becomes some sort of personal practice absolutely it's, it does yeah yeah, I think um that's that's a really um yeah, that's that's a that's a really wise way to kind of like look at the big picture of what touring means for you, you know, as 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 a as a musician and as a producer and all the things that you are, you know, like that's that's a yeah, that holistic approach is uh uh yeah, that, I suppose that's what I would expect from from you to have developed over over these years of you playing live, for sure. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. So uh, you're going back on the road in a few months, or a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, next week we're doing a one-off gig um, for a festival show uh, in Cancun, and then uh, a couple more one-offs over the next month or so um and then in june we start uh two weeks in the uk uh come back at the beginning of july uh get into rehearsal mode um do band rehearsals and production rehearsals and get the show uh dialed in uh when we start in florida uh, toward the end of july and then that summer tour goes until the end of september wow so yeah, and that's, then that's after incredible. That, we'll see. Yeah, it is incredible. I, I, you know, I'm also very blessed. It's really wonderful to um, to work with, you know, consistently the same group of people um, for the last I don't know eight years almost now that that I've been with this band. Um, 
And I've done a few things in between tours here and there with some other artists. Uh, I, um, I tend to get uh, calls from uh, Charlie XCX uh, uh, people um, to do some fill-in stuff here and there. And I absolutely love working with her and her team. They're, they're wonderful. Um, and so for her, I end up doing playback and, and running her live uh, vocal effects for autotune. Um, but, uh, yeah, with Goo Goo Dolls, it's been a really, really great experience to kind of, um, really just kind of grow into, uh, the, the role that I have with playback because initially it was very much a, you know, I will just operate the thing that somebody else programmed, um, because that's how I entered into the equation, um, so that kind of mirrors that, like, you know, timid mixing engineer kind of thing, you know. And But after a year of, you know, building rapport and uh, kind of getting the, the, the trust and the confidence of the, of, of the main guys, John and Robbie and management, um, you know, I started kind of making the gig my own and, and re- rebuilding uh, the playback system, rebuilding the session files, um, you know, going into a lot of the old multi-tracks with, uh, with John Resnick, um, and, uh, kind of like reworking mixes to sound a little bit more modern in some instances and some things like that. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been really nice to have that kind of rapport with them and, um, and with their management team and the, 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 um, production manager, uh, Ben Lithberg's amazing. Um, and uh yeah it's just a great vibe out there they 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 run uh a well-oiled machine out there they've been doing it a long time so so you mentioned that you you are uh you are i don't know what the right right word is retainer like you 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 get money even <laughs> if you're not touring with them a little bit or how does it work yeah, like how do yeah. how do they make sure that you're always available yeah, that that is the way that they make sure that I'm always available. There is a there is a retainer in place, and that is um, that's uh, I, I'm I'm only a little twitchy about the subject because it seems like it's something that uh, a lot of people don't really talk about, and yeah. I'm you know I'm of two minds about it. On one hand, I, I think that it's really important to normalize the discussion of uh, pay. Uh, and, and what is fair for, for people, um, that do the kind of work that we do really any kind of work, honestly. Um, you know, and then on the other hand, I'm kind of like, Oh, do I really want to talk about the Google dolls retainer? You know, cause it's like, you know what I mean? Like on a political level, I just, I don't want to yeah. like ruffle anybody's feathers. <laughs> no, no, I understand. Like the, the reason why I'm asking is, um, how this works with, uh, like, are you self-employed or what is exactly what is the... right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah. The so the 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 way that I can you know survive and 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 how I how I make money in in the business and how I kind of juggle projects and and take the kind of records that I, that I want to work on is that yeah I, I uh, am very well um, uh, taken care of with with the Goo Goo Dolls with um, with my uh, touring rate, and and then there is a um, uh, a small retainer uh, that is in place for me when we are not uh, touring uh, to kind yeah. of like get us through till you know the next major major thing. 
Uh, we'll do like one-off shows and things like that to kind of keep everybody's wheels greased. Um, so because of that, you know, financial freedom, uh, really, uh, that, that allows me uh, to kind of invest in uh, my, my studio projects and, and the work that I do as, a, as an engineer and a producer and a musician. Um, so with that freedom, you know, I, I generally will only take studio projects that I really want to do. Um, because I don't have to, <laughs> and that is such a great yeah. feeling. Uh, it, is, it is great. It really yeah, is great. It's a blessing. And, you know, I don't know how long that's going to last, but man, I'm going to enjoy it while it does. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it, you know, my, uh, my day rates are reasonable. You know, uh, uh, most of the work that I do, um, on the studio side of things is for, um, close friends um, or, you know, do like a discounted rate or something for, you know, it's like, you know, we all have to kind of spend money to make money. So I understand that, you know, invoicing for things is actually a good thing, <laughs> like for taxes, you know. So, you know, I, I don't really have too hard of a time, you know, charging my friends for stuff because they know that what kind of value they're getting for it. And it's not, you know, a whole ton of money. Um so yeah, I mean the you know the majority of my stuff at home is just kind of fun money in a way, um, and uh, I'm also kind of starting to um, build up some some other uh, kind of creative pro chops with uh, uh, photography, uh, video work, motion graphics. That's all kind of stuff that I started picking up during the pandemic lockdown stuff, um, and I just felt like I needed some. I needed some more skills, some more uh, things that could that could uh, uh, be um, complementary to the skill set that I have and the and the network that I have. Um, things that I can do to um, facilitate an artist's vision, not just sonically but visually, um, is something really uh, exciting for me. Uh, mm -hmm. To be able to offer that as uh, as a service um, is um, really really fun, uh, and and I, you know, before I went to school for audio engineering, I was a graphic design major, and in high school I was very much into fine art and um, painting and digital composition and stuff like that. So I'm kind of circling back to all of that now um, that I kind of have a lot of things in place on a professional level and, and with, with regard to, you know, studio stuff and recording, like all that's good. So now I can kind of like spread out a little bit and, um, explore some other things that can also be a, a, a an income stream. You know, people pay pretty mm -hmm. good money for a good looking music video. Um, yeah. so, uh, so that, that's, that's one way that I'm, that I'm working toward, um, you know, building another, uh, revenue stream for myself as a, Self-employed, yeah, freelance, uh, creative. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I, I see like you you also, I, I, I call it building bridges, you know, building bridges to your past. So bringing yeah. back all old passions and, you know, then learning more about it and That's applying, what's great utilizing about passion. It. Yeah. That's what's great mm. about passion, right? Like we can like, we can harness that from different facets of our life and our history and make things new again and make things exciting 
Uh, and I think that uh, that, um, you know, sometimes childlike, uh, you know, fervor for things um, can be um, a fundamental part of trying to capture that thing that we were talking about uh, at the beginning with mixing. You know, it's like there's that there's that passionate spark, you know, um, and it's like if you can elicit even a fraction of that in a listener in a mix, then holy shit, you've done you've done your job, you know. So that's what that makes me think of. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Adrian. Thank you so much. Um, it was about time that we spoke. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I learned some new things about you as well. So. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I think. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that uh, I've met you back then. I'm glad that we're still friends. And Likewise, Marcus. Yeah, it's been uh, a wonderful experience to... Um, You know, I've learned so much from you, uh, and you know, I think I, I told you on one occasion, it's like when I, when I'm doing some of this tour stuff that's really like intense and kind of like high uh, uh, high bar um, levels of um, you know uh, production quality. Like I kind there's like a little Marcus over off to one side of my shoulder over here telling me like. Nope, you better line that thing up. You better tune that note. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, nah, man, like, it, it's been really great, uh, you know, working with you over the years and, and um, kind of uh, at this point, just kind of like spreading out into, into my own a little bit too, you know, and I, I, I feel, um, uh, yeah, very, just very grateful for, for your friendship and uh, mentorship over the years and, Yeah, looking forward to many more years of silly conversations like this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs>